we always took the step to invest because it always paid off. And when you are running a business, like you have to take that leap. You have to make that investment and be willing to commit to take your business to the next level and move forward. You're listening to That Worked, a show that breaks down the careers of top founders and executives and pulls out those key items that led to their success. I'm your host, Callan Harrington, founder of Flash Growth, and I couldn't be more excited that you're here. Welcome back to another episode of That Worked. We have a great episode this week. We're joined by Stephanie Carton. And Stephanie is a force to be reckoned with. She is the co-founder and CEO of Entrepreneista. Entrepreneista is a media company and membership community that impacts the success of women by celebrating and sharing the stories, lessons, and business insights of female leaders while creating a community that cultivates meaningful business connections and support. Stephanie is also the co-founder of SocialFly, co-founder of Market, and co-founder of Pearl Influential. She has won countless awards, including the Smart CEO Bravo Award, which recognizes the top female CEOs in New York, and a Stevie Award for Women Run Workplace of the Year. We talked about what makes a great business partner, how Stephanie invested in herself as an entrepreneur, And one that was really interesting was how to maximize a networking event as an introvert. She has a really good take on this. I personally learned a ton in this episode. Building a media company and community is something I'm very interested in with my own business. And she gave us the blueprint for how to build one. Community-led growth is a hot topic and incredibly valuable for those that can pull it off. More than the business impact, you can personally impact many people's lives. And she has done just that with the Entrepreneurista League. With that, I'm done talking. Let's hop into the show. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm very excited in prepping for this interview As I mentioned, my biggest goal is to keep it focused because I can go 7,000 different ways on the show. And then also we have Jen back for co-hosting. So Jen, I'm excited to have you back. Yeah, me too. And same as Callan, after listening to some of the podcasts you've been on stuff, I'm interested to dig into some details that I didn't get answered in some of the podcasts that I listened to. So Thank you. All right. I I hope I can deliver for you both. (laughs) Um, We know that you can. And we're going to go for, there's some spicy hot takes in there too. So I'm excited to dive into them. But the first place I would love to start out just in general is, can you tell us the story of the inspiration to start SocialFly? Of course. So I will... Take you back. I was originally going to take you back to college, but I will take you back to my childhood. I feel like I was this born entrepreneur or entrepreneurista, as as we say now. I was always finding things that were trending as a child and creating a business and selling things. So from 
Girl Scout cookies to friendship bracelets to pugs, beanie babies. Like I had a business doing all of those things. So fast forward to my college career, I went to school at Cornell University and I was in the hospitality and business management program. And when I was a sophomore at Cornell is actually when Facebook first started. And when Facebook first started, they released the platform initially only to Ivy League college students. So I remember getting access to the platform and it was called thefacebook.com back then. And we all thought we were like so cool because we got access to this platform and we were making these profiles. And back then you had to, you know, we would like take pictures out at night and then upload the photos onto like you couldn't do it on your phone back then. It was like all on the on the desktop computer. And I remember thinking back then that this was going to change the way of marketing in the future. I wasn't sure exactly how when everything first launched, but I always just wanted to stay on the forefront with everything that was happening with Facebook. And then, of course, other social platforms launched like Instagram and Twitter. Fast forward now. I'm living in New York City, working a full-time job, and my business partner, Courtney, we met through a mutual friend who also happens to be an entrepreneur as well. And we decided to start taking on clients together on the side of our full-time jobs. We started putting together these social media strategies for brands because we realized that so many businesses needed help with their social media strategies. And who better than us to put them together because we were also figuring everything out as we went along. Everything was so new back then. So that's what we decided to do and put together these social media strategies. They were working. And after... 10 months of working nights and weekends on client projects and accounts. So we said, all right, if this is going to be a real business, we either have to go all in and do it or not do it at all. So we decided to quit our corporate jobs on the same day, which was May 4th of 2012. And we never looked back and and grew and scaled that business organically. So it's a great story. And I've got a bunch of follow-up questions on this. So one, what was your favorite pog? Oh my gosh, that was going to be my question. You know, that's a really good question. <laughs> you know, I can't even remember. I just remember having certain like metal slammers and these clear see-through slammers, but I don't remember all the details of them. Ask me about Beanie Babies and I remember a lot more about my Beanie Baby resale business. If you would have named any pog, I would have been impressed. The second it came out of my mouth, was I couldn't name it. There's no, absolutely no way. I could not. What's the favorite Beanie Baby? Well, I remember I always wanted to get this like Princess Diana Beanie Baby that was so hard to find and I never got my hands on. But the one that was like always trending that you were trying to like buy up as many as you could because they would sell for a lot more was the Peace Bear. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yes. I have it. I have it because uh, Juliana's grandparents left her a ton of Beanie Babies and I had to look up all of these Beanie Babies and... I got to tell you, it's still really fun looking up these things and seeing what they're worth and going on eBay and what's sold. Um, Okay, but what the Peace Bear. I was going to say, are you a secret millionaire that we don't know about? And Beanie Baby Millionaire. Yeah, no, that's how I've made myself. That was what put me on the map. (laughs) That was your your seed funding for your business. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So tying it back to Social Fly, your partner, Courtney, how did you meet? How did you know she was the right partner? What made her a really good partner? 
I will tell you, I got very lucky. And we have the most incredible business partnership over the past 11 plus years that we've worked on over the years. But we got very lucky in the sense that we were friends first. We literally met in a Miami hotel room through a mutual friend who also has her own business. And we became friends first. And I was already trying to start an agency business when Courtney and I first met. And after spending a lot of time together as friends first, we realized, you know, we had the same interests, but we didn't realize at the time, like how opposite our skill sets were and are. So we got very, very lucky that we have really been able to divide and conquer in our businesses since the beginning. But I will share with you, business partnerships are like a marriage. And the only way for a business partnership to be successful is to have the utmost trust and respect for your partner and the same vision and goals for the business. Because if you don't have that and you don't build that foundation in the beginning, you're probably not going to have a a long lasting business partnership. And Courtney and I really invested in our partnership and working together on like learning how to be great business partners. And, you know, we figured everything out as we went along. We're 11 plus years in business now. So when we first started, we were in our early and mid 20s. You know, we're now I'm going to be 39 in in a couple of months. And, you know, Courtney's in her mid 30s and so much changes in life during that time that you really need to have this solid foundation when you first start. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you got really lucky in in finding Courtney. You were friends first. So that brings up a question. This might be a spicy hot take. I've had a lot of challenge. When I start friends first, it can be tough for me. It's tough for me to even kind of hire uh, friends within to the business as a whole. Did you find any of those challenges because you guys had a personal friendship going into that as opposed to becoming friends after working together and then going to start something? Great question. So Courtney and I weren't friends for a long time before we started the business. So we were introduced by our friend Susie. We became fast friends. I think it was probably only about a year that we were friends before we started the business together. So it wasn't like we were, you know, best friends since childhood or, you know, had our entire college experience together. But I really do think it is possible to go into business with friends. And we've actually on our podcast, Entrepreneurista, we've had other, you know, friends share their stories of starting businesses and what works and what doesn't. And it definitely is possible. But it really is all about setting up that foundation in the beginning and having those, you know, clear roles and responsibilities and making sure that you genuinely trust each other and having that same like work ethic and then vision for the business. If you have all of those things in place, I do think it is possible to be it's definitely possible to be in business with with a friend. One of the things I'm so impressed by is you've done it with multiple businesses with the two of you. You mentioned that you invested a lot into building that trust within the friendship and partnership. Do you have any of the things that that you did to work on that, whether that was exercises or whatever that may be? I'm really curious, just some of the, the, the actionable things that people can do to strengthen their partnership. Yeah. So we worked with a business coach. Her name is Leslie. She is the best. And, you know, in the early days of 
growing social fly, we didn't know what we didn't know, right? You're figuring everything out as you go along. You're building this business from nothing into a multi-million dollar business. There's so many challenges that come up along the way. Your roles and responsibilities change based on things that are happening in the business. And we realized like we needed that coach to really help us figure out the best way to be able to divide and conquer and have tough conversations together and really, you know, have this alignment. And she really worked with us on putting those those plans in place so we could, you know, openly communicate about things. And I think, you know, going back to, you know, being friends first or having a business partnership where with a friend if it's hard for you to like give, you know, feedback on something because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings because they're your friend, it makes it hard to have a successful partnership because a lot of times like you do need to share that. If your partner's doing something that you don't agree with or it isn't maybe how you would do something and you're scared to communicate and share those things because you feel bad because they're your friend, like that's when there can be a lot of issues or resentment can happen. But if you learn the best ways to be able to openly communicate together, you can have a lot of success and it can feel uncomfortable or strange first. But having like a a third party, uh, we would call Leslie like our our business coach, but like our, um, it's like our counselor, right? (laughs) I was going to say, it's almost like a marriage counselor in a way. (laughs) Marriage, yeah, basically, yeah. Therapist, I would say, business therapist. <laughs> uh, which I just found out there are therapists specifically for entrepreneurs. I don't know who they are, how to find them, but I've heard about this and I think it's a fantastic idea. I think getting a coach is excellent. That's such great advice in general. Were there any frameworks in particular where, whether that's like a conflict resolution framework or an expectations framework that you used or still do use that helped make that successful? Something that we did do in the early days was like listing out all of our roles, responsibilities, what we were each responsible for, which was really helpful. So because I think we found a lot of times in the early days, again, like we hadn't run a business before. We were figuring it out as we went along. And a lot of times we would be doing like the same things together where we could, you know, do a lot more if we were if we divided and conquered and we're very clear about, okay, anything sales and marketing related falls on Stephanie, anything operations and finance related falls on Courtney. So at the end of the day, like all you have as a business owner is the number of a certain number of hours in the day. And if you're overlapping, doing similar things, it's not necessarily going to help the business move forward. So Something just dawned on me as you were talking about that. You were pretty young when you would have made this decision to get a business coach, one. And then two, I knew you got off to a hot start, but that's not the easiest thing to say, hey, we're going to invest in this coach because it's a non-revenue generating activity. What kind of led to that decision? And I'd ask what the ROI is, but I think it's fairly obvious. It's pretty significant, it seems like. Is that fair to say? Well, I will tell you the whole backstory here because I am all about empowering entrepreneurs to be investing in themselves because it's investing in your business and it's only going to it's only going to help in the long run if you want to build a sustainable business. So, I'm going to take you back again to the early days now of starting Social Fly. So, we quit our corporate jobs and then we're like, "Okay, we need to get some interns to help do all of the work." So, 
quit our jobs. And the next week, it's Monday, Courtney comes over to my apartment. At the time, I'm living on the, the Upper West Side in Manhattan in this small apartment. And Courtney comes over and we're like, okay, where are we going to find interns? So we go on Craigslist. We start calling and interviewing interns. And we're like, wait a second where are these interns going to go? Like, this is before like remote work where that, you know, that's the norm now, but we're like, where are they going to go? What are we going to do? And she's like, oh, I remember I have this family friend. My mom used to sell art to this guy. His name is Frank. He has a printing company in New York City called Print Tech. Let me call him and uh, see if he has any extra space. So we call Frank and he says, ladies, come on down. I want to hear about your business and see if there's anything that I can do to help you. So we go meet with Frank like the first week after we quit our jobs and we tell him, all about our idea, or not even idea, we'd already started the business, but now we're doing this full time. And he's like, how are you going to go get more clients? We're like, you know, we're going to network and pound the pavement. He's like, you need to come to my networking group. I'm in this amazing networking group. And I get most of my business from this group. You need to be part of this. The next week I go to this group, they meet at 730 in the morning every Tuesday. And my world just changed. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like this, it just felt like so me, like I'm a natural connector. I like to help people. I like to be able to, you know, talk about our business. I'd like to meet people. And that's what this group was about. So we, you know, say we want to join the group and they tell us it's like a few thousand dollars to join this group. And we're like, okay, you know, how are we going to pay for this? We had like a few small clients when we were just starting out. And Frank said, just put it on your business credit card. You're investing in your business. He's like, I'm telling you, this is what's going to help you. And it's doing these things where you're investing in your business and you're meeting the right people and it will continue to take you to the next level. So from Frank's initial advice, we joined that group. We didn't really have the funds to do it, but we put it on a business credit card and off we went and got lots of our first clients from that group. And from there started to meet some of our closest friends and network and business to this day. And then from there, through that group, we met someone else who was involved in another organization. And that's how we ended up meeting our business coach, Leslie, and then ended up joining that organization to learn leadership training and leadership skills along with the coaching from Leslie. From there, we also had joined um, another group to be able to help get press for our business and learn all about, you know, the PR world of, you know, marketing your business. And we always took the step to invest because it always paid off. And when you are running a business, like you have to take that leap. You have to make that investment and be willing to commit to take your business to the next level and move forward. And because of doing all of this, this is how we were able to build Socialfly and build our business so quickly and so organically because we did take these risks. And they all paid off because we invested in ourselves and we invested in our business. So then when we set out to create Entrepreneurista, which I'm sure we'll talk more about, we wanted to put together every single resource that we had in all of these different groups and communities under one roof. So founders didn't have to go to, you know, five, 10 different groups and organizations. They could have everything they needed, everything we needed over the past 10 plus years since we started our business. I love that story. And I tell people all the time, people ask me all the time, I want to go into consulting. How do I get my first couple of clients? The reality is your first couple of clients are going to come from your network. Get out there, network, meet people face-to-face, digitally. Honestly, doesn't really matter. I still love face-to-face, but if you can meet people digitally, meet with people digitally. That's how your first clients will most likely come. 
build content for the long run, build your personal brand, all of those things. But while you're doing that, hit the networking trail hard. One of the things I'm super curious about, and I know you've got a ton of experience and I'm very excited to talk about the entrepreneurial community that you've that you founded and, and lead. How does somebody, when they join a community, you know, one thing that I, I see, there's two types of people that typically are in a community. There's probably more, I'm oversimplifying. One person is super engaged. They're answering all the questions, they're at all the events, they're trying to get on the committees. And then the other side of that is the person that that gets in and maybe they are, have some nerves. Maybe they're a little, uh, have some fear about putting themselves out there or asking questions, whatever that may be. How does that second person maximize the maximize the value that they can give and receive from joining a community? Being part of a community and networking and putting yourself out there, if that isn't your you know natural being, can definitely be hard and challenging. And I totally understand and can relate. And some people don't believe this when I share this with them, but I, I'm like an introverted extrovert. So I love meeting people like one-on-one -on -one and connecting like this and having this conversation. And actually, I can go speak in front of, you know, 500 people and I'm great with that. But put me in a room with 100 people and you're having to go up to people and network and, and have these conversations. To me, I actually get extremely like overwhelmed because I prefer naturally to just want to connect like this one on one or with two people like in a small group because I like to build real genuine relationships. So what I like to do is really think about for with every event, whether it's in person or if you're doing like a, you know, a Zoom networking event, think about your goals. What would success look like to you from that specific event or meeting. So maybe you're introverted and you're going to this big event and you get a list ahead of time of who's going to be there. Who are those one, two, or three people that you want to make it a point to find them and introduce yourself and start building that relationship? So you're not going to an event saying, I need to go meet 50 people. Go there to meet one, two, or three people strategically are these people that can help you in your business, can help move your business forward? Can you give back to them as well and build that genuine connection and relationship? And then the most important thing is following up. You're not going to build a relationship by just having that, you know, five minute meeting with someone and then reaching out to them a year later and being like, oh, remember when we met for five minutes at XYZ event? You have to build that relationship. And something that I learned Early on in that first group that we joined, the whole philosophy of that group was giver's gain. And one of the reasons why I felt just so at home and comfortable in that group is because that's just naturally how I am. I love to connect with people, learn about them, find out what would be helpful for them so that I can authentically and organically make introductions as I meet other people. So if you get nervous, you know, talking about yourself in the beginning, when you start networking, ask people about themselves. I find most people do like to talk about themselves. So ask them about themselves, learn as much as you can about them. And then you can build that relationship initially by making introductions for them or, or helping them as well. I love that advice. I think that's excellent. And one of the, the one piece in particular that really stuck out to me was when you go to a networking event, you don't have to talk with every single person there. Even I consider myself an extrovert in every definition of the word. I get energy from being around people and more people, I typically get more energy. 
That said, I can't rifle through a networking event talking to as many people as possible. I will burn out and it will be a waste of my time. So narrowing in on two to three people that you really want to meet and and see if there's a way to help each other out, I think is some of the best advice that you can give. So I personally love that. And I would say being organized about it. So having a CRM, I wish when we started years ago that we had an organized CRM. I think about this all the time, like, oh my gosh, imagine if I had, we, the CRM we use, it's called Copper. It integrates with the Google suite. We do like everything on Google. So it makes it really easy. But like, I wish we had that when we first started. I think about it now. I'm like, imagine if I had every single contact, every conversation logged, everything there for when we first started. Like, luckily I have a lot of it in my head and, and I we use it now going forward the past few years, but I wish... I wish we had that when when we first started because we've just met thousands of people over the years. So to be able to go back and say, oh, someone's looking for XYZ type of person, I could just look it up in the CRM. It's like, oh, I met this person at this event. They do XYZ and make that introduction. So starting that now for anyone as you're networking and having all of your contacts organized so you can easily access them and remember you know, your conversations or who helpful intros would be highly, highly recommend that. And then one other thing I'll add in terms of tips and advice, because I love sharing about building relationships and networking. I'm just so passionate about, especially, you know, with service providers and making it really easy for other people to make connections and introductions. And something I like to think about is, Let's say you're on a Zoom networking call, whether it's like a group call or one-on-one, it doesn't have to be that the person you're sitting across from is a potential client for you. But who do they know? Like, are they a center of influence or who do they know that they could introduce you to? But what you have to be able to do on your end is make it really easy for them to introduce you. So having your business and like your tagline for your business and what you do, being able to articulate that and being like extremely easy and memorable. So then you're top of mind for other people as they're going about their day and someone says, oh, like with Socialfly, oh, I'm looking for a social media agency. We would get introductions all the time because everyone knew, you know, Stephanie and Courtney from Socialfly, you, you know, make introductions if you meet someone looking for social media services. So you want to, you know, make it very easy for people to introduce you. Couldn't agree more. The more friction that you can remove, and I I think one of the easiest examples is go to them. If they're across town, go to them. Make it easy. If send the calendar invite, if it's digital, don't wait on them to do it. Just send it and be done with it. The easier that you can make that process, the more someone's going to agree and, and be excited about it. If they feel like they've got to do all the work on it and you're reaching out to them, it's already going to be, oh, why am I, why am I dealing with this? Why am I, like, this is another meeting on my calendar and I don't feel like dealing with this. Not the sound Scrooge. The, one of the things I want to go to real quick is where was it with Socialfly where you really had that turning point where it came from, okay, we're doing pretty well here. We're getting consistent uh, clients to, this is a real high growth business. What was that point? What happened to get to that point? 
One of the things that we did, um, we joined this accelerator program, and this is when we were doing under a million dollars in revenue. And so in the early days of starting the business, and we joined this accelerator program to learn all the tact, again, investing in the business, learning all the tactics mm-hmm. and, and strategies that we would need to take the business from, you know, a half a million dollar to a million dollar plus business. So we were in this accelerator program. We had a group that we met with um, once a month, and then there were these quarterly sessions on finance and, you know, sales and marketing and operations. And that really helped us learn all of these different strategies and things that we would need to take the business to the next level. And we were in that group for a year and then got to the million dollar plus mark in our business. And from there, just, you know, really accelerated from there. What was probably the biggest challenge that you had when you're in that high growth stage? I think the biggest challenge in any business is hiring talent. Uh, your business is only as great as the the team that you have, especially in our type of business, which is a service-based business. You need really great people and you need to operate the business, you know, extremely efficiently. So you can't be paying people more than the clients are spending with you. So that, so learning how to like find the best talent, but then also making sure that you're charging the right prices to your clients. It's, it's really hard, but I would say, I mean, it's all hard (laughs) managing people and learning how to manage people. And I think that was, you know, a big challenge for us, especially in the early days, Courtney and I, again, were in our, you know, mid and late 20s. And, you know, a lot of the the talent that we were hiring, they were close to our age. And we hadn't managed a, a big team before. So again, you know, learning everything as you go and making a lot of mistakes along the way. And always, we're always open and still are like always learning new things. We're always learning at every new stage of business. And we're always seeking answers and finding the resources that we need to figure out how to take the business to that next step. You said something in a previous podcast where one of the questions you ask on an interview is, what is the nicest thing you've done for somebody lately? Which instantly I said, that is happening for me now every time in every interview. But what is the key skill that you look for in a professional standpoint when you're hiring somebody? I will say the first thing is definitely making sure someone is nice, (laughs) a good human. That is like the, the most important thing because... We just only want to work with really nice, kind, good people who you can trust. So that is like the number one most important thing. And then most things can be trained. So if you find someone with the ability to problem solve and someone who is extremely resilient and especially like with Entreprenista, we're, you know, s- starting this business over. We're a startup now. Um, it's like how when we started Social Fly. So you need people who are willing to just figure things out. And again, I think a lot of the skills can actually be trained, but you can't necessarily train the mindset of, you know, resiliency and doing what it takes and figuring things out and being okay if you make a mistake and not falling apart and being able to keep moving forward. So that's actually really what what we look for. Yeah, those soft people skills you can't teach. I think Callan maybe told me a few years ago or at one point, it's you can have the best sales performer on your team, but if they're not a culture fit and they're bringing the team down, it's just not a fit overall. So that's a really, really strong point that you brought up. I've got a follow-up question on this, and this might be the second hot take of the episode here. But my question is, 
and I totally align with the, you know, someone that's generally nice, good person. How do you balance that with being walked over from clients where someone's very nice and it's to the point where a client will say something or push the uh, boundaries? How do they enforce their boundaries? Maybe that's the question. But I'm curious on how you strike that balance. So again, it depends on the role, right? So that role would be someone who's an account supervisor or account director. So you can still have someone who's a very nice person, a nice human, but they know they have account management skills and know how to manage the client and manage that relationship. So being nice is really important because you want to be able to like finesse those emails or have those conversations where you are extremely likable to the clients. And even if you're pushing back on them or sharing things, like you're able to do it you like nicely with a smile and share what you need to share with the client. But you do need someone who is like nicely assertive and direct. <laughs> I got you. So if I'm hearing you, it's nice, but also assertive in that particular role. In certain roles, it's just not necessary. Yeah. And when I say nice, I mean like a good human, a good person. Like we only want to hire really nice humans because when you spend time working with people, there's a lot of people out there who are not necessarily kind or are, you know, don't necessarily think about others before they think about themselves. And in a business, and especially in a business, if you're building an agency business or a community-based business like Entreprenista, it's about service and about being there and supporting other people. And if you're always thinking about yourself first and you're not kind to others, like it's not a good fit. I love that as a differentiation because you can still have a little... I'll just call it an edge to you. Uh, but if you're generally looking out for the other person, yes, you might have a bit of an edge, but people know that your heart's in the right place and in, in what you're doing. Is that am I hearing you correctly on that? Definitely. And you genuinely have to like like people. Like in a people business, you have to be sure that the people you hire actually like other humans and care about them. <laughs> it makes complete sense. So we're at the main course, entrepreneurista. Tell us a little bit about Entreprenista. And what I'm really interested to hear in particular is what started this? What's the origin story? Yeah. So what started to happen was because of the quick growth and success of Socialfly, so many women founders started reaching out to myself and Courtney literally every single week, wanting to go out to coffee and pick our braid and really just wanting to hear how we were able to do what we did. And Courtney and I are both the type of people that like to help absolutely everyone. But we realized quickly it was physically impossible to go out to coffee with everyone who was reaching out to us and still run our agency business. So we started thinking, you know, how can we help as many women founders as possible? possible, but really do it at scale. So that was our initial aha moment. We're like, oh, why don't we start a podcast and we can share all of these incredible stories of other women who are building these businesses and they have so much insight and advice to share. So that's how Entrepreneurista initially started. It started as our podcast on the side of our agency business, really as this great content to, you know, share and help others. And the first year of Entreprenista, that's really all it was. So we launched the podcast at the end of 2018. And the podcast really just took off there from that first episode. We were early in that women's entrepreneurship podcasting space. Now there's a lot of other podcasts as well, which is so amazing to see. But back at the end of 2018, there were not a lot of other podcasts like ours. And so call all of 2019, we released a new episode every week. We are organically growing our social community and our email list. 
Then the beginning of 2020 happens. And obviously, we all know what happens in 2020 and the world changes and the pandemic. And now we're getting so many messages from our listeners and followers. We're hearing things like, I lost my job during the pandemic. I want to start a business. Can you help us? Or I need help pivoting my business. Can you help us? And Courtney and I were like, we need to help everyone. And we always knew we wanted to do more with Entreprenista. We were focused on running our agency business, but here we are now in the middle of this pandemic, and this was the time to do it. We needed to go all in and build Entreprenista to be what we knew it could be and what we were seeing everyone really needed during that time. So all roads lead back to our business coach. We worked with our business coach, Leslie, and we worked out this whole plan where Courtney and I could really divide and conquer again, as we've always done, where Courtney would stay focused on running and growing our agency business. And then I would focus on building everything out with Entreprenista. So we, you know, pivoted Entreprenista, moved it to be a separate business from Social Fly because it wasn't a business. It was a podcast. Not that podcasts aren't businesses. There are podcasts that are businesses and now our podcast is part of our business. But that's just not what it was when we first started. It was just this side project for us. So now over the past almost three years, we have now built Entreprenista into a full media company and membership community called the Entreprenista League. And when we set out to create our membership community, we wanted to create a place for women founders to have access to all of our learning lessons, everything we had invested, all of our uh, all of our money in over the past 10 plus years, 11 plus years now, and just help everyone do it faster and have a community to support them and be there for for these founders every step of the way, because it's what we wish we had on on day one of starting Social Fly. So I have about probably about a million follow up questions on this because I'm very curious, because this is something that with flash growth that I'm personally doing as well is building this media company consulting and and eventually community something I'm very interested in pursuing as well. So what I'm curious is, When did you know it was time to start the actual community aspect? You had the podcast, your social following was starting to grow. What was the point where it's like, okay, we really need to make this into a community? It was during the pandemic. It was the summer of 2020. And we were just hearing what people were asking for and what these needs were and thinking about and what we needed at the time, too. So during the pandemic, we created our own community advisor board of all of our other friends who are agency owners. And we were getting together every week on Zooms, you know, talking about how we were running the business and things that were happening because of the pandemic and clients and churn and employees and all of the things. And we were like, everyone needs access to this to be able to connect and collaborate together. Like this is this is what Entrepreneurista needs to be. So we said, we're going to launch this as a community. And we had never launched a community business before. So we were like, you know, back to square one. And it was so exciting for me to, you know, feel like how we were starting Social Fly again, like just figuring it all out as we went along. And I, Courtney and I both moved down to Florida during the pandemic. We made a whole plan so we could both move down here. She's now in Miami. I'm also in um, the Palm Beach area. And I, through a community, I I met someone down here and she's like, if you want to launch a community business, there's this coach who helps with community businesses launching, you should go do her program. So I signed up. I was like, great, sign up for a program, (laughs) learned how to like set up the foundation for everything and then just just went from there. I have a question on this because this is something that I personally struggled with was is how 
Is it fair to say this is a very mission-driven purpose for you? Absolutely. Do you struggle with, because of that, do you struggle with, okay, what do I charge? What do I give away? And how do you make those decisions? Yes. So now we've talked about this. I feel like that this whole time, this investing in yourself and investing in your business as a business owner, and especially a woman in business, right? We have to invest in ourselves and invest in our business. And if we're not willing to spend money to help our business grow, it's like if you don't pay for something, you're not going to necessarily take it seriously or commit to doing it. So if everything is free and we're just handed everything for free, are you going to like put in the work and actually build? You have to charge something. Now, do we give away scholarships and do partnerships with brands to offer scholarships, especially to people who are like super early and just starting out? Absolutely. But for founders who are already building businesses, have revenue in their business, you have to be willing to spend to grow your business. And we're a business, right? So the only way that we can provide all of these resources and tools and and access, we have to have a team and be able to, to execute this. So is it something we think about all the time? Absolutely. And do we want to be sure that we are you know, charging for like what's fair and what makes sense. Like we're not sitting here like, how could we make a billion dollars and, you know, charge people more than they should be paying? Like that's not our mentality at all. It's we just want to be sure that if you are in business, you are making that commitment to invest in yourself and invest in your business. I find that to be 100 percent true, even with my own stuff. If I get something for free, I'm not that vested in it. And I can't tell you how many pilots we've ran with companies where they've given the pilot away and it's not been successful. Even if it's co-opted at 75% and the the company only has to pay 25% of that fee, they're infinitely more successful. So I, I totally agree. That makes complete sense to me. What's the difference? For, so for you, and I've asked, funny enough, I've asked Jen the, the same question on this because Jen's at a very mission-driven company as well. How is that different on a day-to-day basis working for a company that's very mission-driven versus, I'm going to say business-driven, but the reality is you know, a lot of businesses, myself included, are to grow the business and ultimately sell the business. It's not I care about my clients a lot. I care about their problems. I really enjoy solving those problems. But at the end of the day, it's this isn't a very mission-driven business as it stands today. I actually want to make it more mission-driven, which is why I'm curious. But what's that? How is that day-to-day different in a very mission-driven business? I see the differences really in our team. So when you have a mission-driven business and the team that is working for that business they're just so aligned with the goals and the purpose with Entrepreneurista, with what we stand for. And I just see just a different mindset and attitude versus other companies where like, again, in an agency business where you have 10 different clients and you're working on all of these client projects and it's like all across the board, it's just a different mentality when there is a, a mission behind what you're doing each day and you see the impact that you're making for our team, I just see such a difference. We start our team meetings off at Entrepreneurista every Monday 
sharing impact statements from our members and our community and how the community has changed their life, changed their business, and for the team to be able to be part of that every every single day. And our team, they're all in our membership community platform and seeing all the connections that are happening and businesses that are growing. There's nothing better. What's been the biggest challenge that you faced in building a community? The biggest challenge has really been figuring out what the, and going back to like the pricing model, what that pricing model should be. We are about to update our membership model based on our learnings from the past two years. So what I saw happening was we use for our membership model, it's a yearly membership fee or our members can pay quarterly. That's how we had been doing it. And what I saw happening was because we use Stripe for payment processing, anytime someone was coming up on renewal, either their quarterly payment was coming up or their yearly payment, Stripe sends out a reminder and says, your subscription is about to update. Your subscription is about to update. So then what I saw happening is members would email and say, oh, you know, I'm not using my subscription anymore. I want to cancel my subscription. And I started to realize, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not the community that we've built. Like, this is not a subscription business. That's not what we are. That's not who we are. We're a community-based business. And our goal is to help everyone in our community have all of the resources and access and there for you throughout your business journey. So what we have decided to do is change our access model to be a lifetime access model. So when someone joins the community, once they, you know, pay to be in the community, they're in the community for life. They have access for life. The membership fee will be a bit more than it is right now for like a one-year access um, or one-year membership that would renew. So it'll be a little bit more. But the value that our members will be receiving over the course of the lifetime of their business is so incredible. And this way we can really be there for our members every step of the way. So if they do have, we would see things sometimes like, you know, um, having a hard month or hard time in my business, I want to cancel my subscription. And I'm like, no, that's actually what we need to be there for you the most. We don't want that to be even a thought. We want people thinking, oh, if I'm having trouble in my business right now, where do I need to go? I need to go to my community to get those resources and get that help. So we're changing the mindset, changing the model, just so our members understand when you're an entrepreneurista, you're part of this community forever. You don't need to be thinking about this every single year as another you know, line item in your budget. Like once you're in, you're in and we're here to help forever. That's excellent. That is definitely backing it up because if anybody knows, there's nothing more powerful than recurring revenue. So if you're moving to that for that reason, I mean, I think that is a, there's not really a, bigger sign of this is what our mission is. This is what we care about than that. So I think that's excellent. I know you've had so much success with Entrepreneurs and I wish we had more time because I would dive in. I've got, I still have like a million other questions. The last question I'd love to ask you is if you could have a conversation with your younger self, what advice would you give them? Surround yourself with a community of others who will help you and support you. And it's all going to work out. It's all going to be okay. I can't imagine a better place to stop it. I mean, community has been huge for me. I'm a big believer. I love what Entrepreneurista is doing and what you're building with with Entrepreneurista. Steph, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, awesome story. Thank you for having me. For your listeners, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always here to be a resource and to help. And thank you for, for having me on. Absolutely, this has been fantastic. 
I hope you enjoyed Stephanie and I's conversation. I loved hearing how Entrepreneurista organically formed from the challenges they heard other women were going through. If you're interested in learning more about the Entrepreneurista League, you could find a sign-up link in the show notes. Also, if you like this episode, you could find me on LinkedIn to let me know. And if you really want to support the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is very much appreciated. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.